Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 32 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Larry Zonka. And I'm joined here by my amicable co-host, former market maker of 20 years and present-day retail trader. Before the financial markets, he was a bouncer who was known as Choo Choo because he hit with the intensity of a train. He then went on to hit bids with the equal ferocity as a paper hanger on House Street. I'm talking about the Russell Peters lookalike, JJ. How's it going? Good, Ray. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Going a little stir crazy. Uh, been a while in the house, but, you know, today our guest, he's had a legendary 52-year career as a market analyst. He is a founding member and a past president of the Market Technicians Association. He's an author of four books, and he's a man of timeless pieces of wisdom and wit. I'm talking about Walter Deemer. Walter, how's it going? Oh, just fine. All right. I'm, 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 still, I'm, still, I'm still on the right side of the grass. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Walter, thank Always. you for thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule over there at Addington. How, how's uh, how's quarantine going? Uh it kind of sucks. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been been out, off, off the property since March 13th. So you know, running to Publix is a thing of the past and running to Walgreens is a thing of the past and stuff. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's like if anybody wants to drop off some ice cream, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, man, what, what, fla- what flavor do you like? What's your go-to flavor? Uh, probably just vanilla. Just vanilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I like it. So um, <clears throat> I hear, Walter, I hear in the, uh, you know, in Addington and the, um, so for people that know, that's a, uh, he, he lives in, he's in a senior living facility, assisted living facility. Um, no, I hear in, you like the, the goof. In, yeah. indep- independent i'm on the independent wing i'm not Indi- assisted yet yeah. independent independent yeah i hear you like to goof on the people there you like like to ask them opinions about the market without telling them your background uh, that's true I, no actually they like to tell me what the uh, what their opinions are of the market and they don't give a crap about what i think <laughs> <laughs> sounds familiar i, I I went out. I went out for a walk. I went out for a walk today, and some guy walks by me. He says, "Oh, 1931 market again, huh?" <laughs> okay, if you say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, before, before we jump into your background, he also he also mm-hmm. assured me that the that the that the, uh, the, the uh, Globex, the opening price on Globex on Sunday night was set set by South Koreans. <laughs> was was set by South Koreans? Did he say why? Where, 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 did, where does he come up with no, this? No, he said he said that the, 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 all the traders in South Korea set the opening price on Globex. Really? That's what he uh, said. I wonder if they know they're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should tell them. We need to talk to this guy. We, uh, yeah, Walter, we need to talk to this guy. Uh, anyway, I I don't think so. <laughs> Anyway, before before we jump into hey, your background, yeah, go ahead, me, go ahead. Let me, let me say this: if it does turn in, if it does turn into a 1931 market, I'll give you his name. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts right now from an analyst perspective? What's going on in the you know this interesting time in the market? Interesting is the, is the word. I I I I personally 
don't see how anybody can have a lot of conviction on either side at this point over a short term on a short term framework. Mm-hmm. We're we're literally almost in uncharted waters, where uh, markets caught between two titanic forces. One is the Fed printing like crazy, and the other is the economy crashing like crazy. And uh, the market's trying to figure out who's going to win. And as it goes through day by day, I think it's and week by week, I think it's almost impossible. I don't. I I. I I, I'm in awe of traders who try to figure it out. The only thing I think I know is that five years from now, we'll look back and say this was a great, a, a great long-term buying opportunity. But going through a great long-term buying opportunity day by day is kind of hell. Mm, right, right. Like, like for example, uh, in, in uh, late night, 2008 and early 2009, you look back on that and say, wow, that was a great buying opportunity. You know, but, but, grown men had nervous breakdowns while it was going on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's why probably JJ, right? A lot of people prefer day trading, right? In and out of positions real quick. Well, yeah, I, for myself, I like to be able to sleep at night and yeah. with these ranges, how do you put a position together? Uh, you know, so you got to kind of let it shake out, I guess. What type, Walter, what type of stress does, does times like this, put on an analyst in like his job duties because like uh, if you go to a trader with what you just said oh like the the you know the intermediate to short-term range you don't know what's going on like well how does someone respond like how would they respond to you i think like jj did you know he wants to go home flat mm-hmm. right he, he likes he likes to sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> i think that's enviable it's his, uh it's it's from hard from the school of hard knocks sir <laughs> yeah I mean, just but I mean, just looking at a day like today, the thing is up a zillion uh, points oh. and then down a zillion points. I mean, you had two you had two intermediate term moves in twenty in, in, in yeah. six and a half hours. It's yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. today was it, eventful. <laughs> it was this 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 people keep are either you uh, doing the VWAP charts. Um, some of the guys in my room, I'm, I'm a market profile guy. Um, I, I'm one of the disciples of Dalton. Um, so I, I just look at value and, and where price is being accepted. But um, Okay, so, the, so the, the, those TPO charts and things like that, which yeah. I don't know, they, they came out after I was educated, so I don't really understand. But, you know, do they, did they help you a day like today? Oh, much, so much, very much so. Uh, the market structure is, so I, I never, I never had the brains. Um, I, I started off trying to go into being an, uh, an analyst and then I quickly discovered I didn't have the mental capacity. So uh, hitting bids is much, <laughs> it's a much less intellectually, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't take as much brains to hit bids and work out order flow as to put a, together a company report. So I went the trading route. Uh, but yeah, definitely I found my market structure really, really helps me, uh, you know, uh, in these times. Because there are a couple guys on Twitter that post these things. I'm in all of what they do and what they say, but I don't really understand what they're trying to tell me. So you know, I just look at it and am in awe. <laughs> well, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of people who uh, who, who use technical analysis because mm-hmm. I, I've never been able to uh, wrap my head around it. I mean, I know it works, but I, I just haven't uh, I haven't mastered it. Well, TPOs are really technical analysis. It, I guess so. In a, in a way, it's I mean, just, you're, uh, looking, you're looking at price and volume. You're just looking yeah. at it a different way. But I mean, your mm-hmm. price and volume are 
kooky things to technical analysis. Right. 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 Absolutely. So you're, so you may not want to admit it publicly, but you're a technical analyst. Oh, I know. I have a lot of respect for uh, technical, uh, an, uh, you know, analysis. It's, you you are you are one. You, yeah, you said it. There, take, oh, okay. Take the legend. I'll, the legend I'll, spoke. I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Two years ago, you you couldn't even spell technician, and now you are one. <laughs> exactly, and, and you don't know how true that is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, Walter, tell, tell us about your background. Uh, what, you know, what led you to becoming an analyst? Uh, it's funny. Most kids, most kids uh, follow baseball averages, and I you know, looked at another section of the paper, and I mm. saw these other numbers. And you know, My father says, you know, that's dollars that, that they're stocks in. So I, I was intrigued at, uh, by the statistics. So I started following it, and it, uh, I got involved, uh, went to uh, – the Pennsylvania State University and sort of worked my own curriculum because they didn't teach technical analysis, but there was one brokerage office in town and two of the three brokers were involved in technical analysis and one of them was an adjunct professor on campus. And this was right before the crash of 1962, which for those, for those who read history, ancient history books was a very emotional time. And I learned more in the boardroom of that brokerage house uh, during that crash than I did on campus. And so I just got involved. And oh, by the way, that the, 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 the uh, crash in 1962 was one that was quite obvious from a technical standpoint. And I was impressed that they had seen it coming. And uh, so, um, and I should add one day, uh, one day I was, I was uh, riding back home to Philadelphia in the back of a car and I had taken Joe Granville's book out of the library. And I read it, the, the Daily uh, Strategy for Stock Market Profits or something. And, and I read it and it, uh, you know, Granville is a very, very enthusiastic and uh, persuasive writer. And he kind of hooked me on technical analysis, hmm. and, which, which is interesting because some of the other technicians of my era also got hooked by that very same book. Hmm. So, how did, so how did you, when you went into... The industry. I mean, you went in with the idea of wanting to be an, uh, an analyst. What made you choose being an analyst over a trader? Like, how how does that process go? Well, there weren't there weren't a lot of traders back then. I mean, we were mostly analysts. And I got a job at Merrill Lynch and went through their research tra training program. And um, a lot of people wanted to go uh, work in the technical analysis department, which had all of three people in it. Uh, it was headed by Bob Barrow, and. Uh, there was a guy working as assistant was, was a guy named Arch Crawford, who was dabbles in astrology and admits it, unlike some other market analysts who dabble in astrology and won't admit it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Arch kept saying he was going to quit. And Bob Farrell said, that's nice, Arch. Now, what were the odds this morning? And one day Arch came in and said, I'm quitting, and this time I mean it. And Bob had five days to find a replacement and I was the only person that had any background. So I got uh, moved into the market analysis department over a couple of other people who had more seniority. So I started working for in the technical analysis, market analysis department in Merrill Lynch in 1964. Wow. Wow. So you, so, I mean, is there anyone on this planet who has more financial market experience than you? Many. Many, many, many people. I mean, fifty-two years. Yeah, more than fifty-two years. 
you know, you know, you know, 52 weeks on the floor of an exchange might give you more experience. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah, definitely. Just say, just, just saying. I mean, I, yeah. When, when I, I look at the longer term thing and don't worry about the short term stuff. I can't figure that out at all. So I let you nice people try to figure that out and make money off it. I just look at the long term thing. As I say, I think looking back, you'll say, uh, you know, five years from now, this all represented a great buying opportunity. But living through, living through this living great through, buying opportunity yeah. day by day is hellish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's the. I guess that's the big challenge, really. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting thinking of it that way. So, Walter, you know, I always love to ask people with experience because this is, you know, a big topic. People always talk about it with algorithmic trading. From the perspective of an analyst, does that even change the way you analyze the market? Because I, I can see for a trader, you know, the impacts, but from the analyst's point of view. Uh, from, from an analyst, it doesn't really bother me. because I think, I think when the market goes against people, they always blame the algos. Right. So if the market goes down and, and they're long, they blame the algos for selling. And if the market goes up and they're short, they blame the algos. Right, <laughs> right, the market, right, right. I think the market <laughs> kind of does what it's going to do and the algos may accentuate it. Remember, the, the, the algos, uh, you know, everybody everybody's mad about high-frequency traders clipping fractions of pennies out of every trade. In the old days, they used to have specialists. specialists exactly. Specials used to clip quarters and, and, and eights and quarters and three eights out of every trade, and everybody said, "Well, that's the way the market works." So well, yeah, yeah, you, you, you and the liquidity now, yes. the liquidity now. I mean, in, in the old days, you put in an order, and ten minutes later, you find out whether you got to execute <laughs> or not. Exactly. I, I, it, 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 so, so a fraction of a penny is a small price to pay for that. Well, they they never used to in do business. Opinion. They never used to do business for less than a kosher eighth, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, we we used to have a thing that uh, that I worked at the Manhattan Fund, which was part of the Go Go years. Uh, uh, the, the, the three Freds and a Jerry in the Go Go years of the late nineteen sixties. Three three Freds: Fred Carr, Fred Alger, Fred Nates, and Jerry Sai, and they were the gunslingers. And that Jerry used to. Get, was very active in, in, in Burroughs. And the specialist in Burroughs was a firm called Marcus, Marcus Schloss. And Erwin Schloss was the uh, specialist. And okay. we, all, we always used to tease that Erwin had hired an ex linebacker from the New York Giants as his, as his assistant. And when Erwin was working in order, if somebody came across the floor, the linebacker blocked him off. Work in the order, and then he let them through. <laughs> and it's not as facetious as it might sound. No, no, no. It was necessary part of business. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the the, the, the specialists the, were universally considered bandits. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the first time I ever met a specialist was in 1995, and my partner asked him how he became a specialist, and the guy looked at him and he said, "If you have to ask, you'll never become one." Turned on his heels and left. <laughs> was classic yeah God, i love it yeah but i mean the liquidity in the market now it, it's, it's incredible the young right. the, the youngins just don't understand what old timers had to go through to try to do a trade oh yeah mm. Mm. True. so 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 for, so just to just clarify no no changes as far as like um from an analyst point of view 
behavior with the market because because i guess like as a trader it, it, it has an impact on us because i think it, you know certain elements you know you, if you have an a bot or an algorithm executing as opposed to a human i think there would be some differences from that aspect correct probably but how much how, how long does an algorithm take to execute I guess they got different. I mean, now I guess that's getting real in depth now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have the short-term ones. I'm sure you have long-term ones. Yeah, but, yeah definitely. But, but for example, I mean, today I just look at today, and, and the market was was up big on the opening, and in the morning, and then it reversed and gained out. I don't know whether algos made it run up in the morning. I don't know whether they made it come back down in the afternoon. Right. To me, it's just a plain old-fashioned one-day reversal. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that's why. Like yeah. you know, I'm just talking this out aloud. I'm just speculating. It, it it probably affects more of like execution, right, JJ, from like a trader standpoint, not how we analyze yeah. the market I mean, on a macro view. Yeah, for the longer term, uh, you know, these gentlemen are looking at ten, twenty year time frames. Right. You know, and um, you know, so and we we're the ones who have to 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 battle the robots in the in the day time frame. Right, right, right. Because you know, battle, I, I, I just, battle, battle with the robots. Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, because I know you know, and maybe this is not an exact I see equivalent. A, I see but, a transformer movie coming up. <laughs> because because Walter, so you know, I don't know if this is this is a proper equivalent, right? But you know, I, I've played poker against bots, you know, AI, etc., and it's it's way different than playing a human, right? Because because a human, there's going to be emotions in his play. You might be upset he lost five hands in a row. It's going to affect how he plays, etc. So I, I'm thinking like maybe speculating like the same thing would happen with trading, right? Like as far as executing, like uh, uh, we all have times where we slip up, right, Jay? We, we get a little emotional. Oh, definitely. And maybe that changes the dynamics, but I'm not sure. I'm just, you know, talking this out loud, I guess. Yeah, but I, I, I as we were talking before that, uh, you know, I think the best traders have, have no emotion at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's impossible to do because all traders are human beings. I don't, I don't think I haven't met you guys, so I don't know. You might be robots for all I know. <laughs> but, I, I but, only wish. Well, I, I mean, the picture of JJ, I can't see his face. <laughs> so I don't know whether whether it's a robot or, a, or, or a, for all I know, it's a patio umbrella. <laughs> this is probably a patio umbrella. <laughs> patio umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that. The best, the best traders or the best poker players are the ones that uh, don't have any emotion. I mean, the, you respond to the cards, you respond to the market, and you do what, right. what what the market tells you to do. You know, if you if you're wrong, you admit it and you move on. If you're right, you take it and you move on. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, the old saying: the market doesn't care what you paid for the stock mm -hmm. or free, or position or whatever. I mean, the, the market doesn't care. The market's going to do whatever it's going to do, and you can't make it do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless, so. unless, unless you work at the Fed. How did the market? <laughs> how did the market technicians association come about? Uh, three guys got together at uh, I think it was Massaletti's uh, in, in New York. John Brooks, John Greeley, and Ralph Acampora, and they decided that they wanted to have uh, some sort of technical group. And they decided they were going to have to get a few more people. And I think there were something like 19 of us at the beginning. Um, some of it, and there was a group from Boston for the institutional side, Bill Doan, Bill De, uh, at Fidelity, Bill Diani at uh, Wellington, and me at, at Putnam. 
and the first big fight in the MTA was the original the original organization was the Market Technicians of Association Association of New York. And people in got in Boston got slighted because we were doing all the work because our organizations backed us. So Bill Doan did the newsletter, Bill Diani did the uh, uh, the journal, and I ran the membership committee and and uh, applications and the uh, uh, bookings for the first seminar that we had. And so we said, why don't you make it the Market Technicians Association? Period. And they finally decided that was a good idea. Interesting. So you and you were the and, then, and very few people know this, but in 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 Canada, it's it's just the market technicians That's because true. because then you, people go up and says, "Oh, are you a member? You're a member of the MT, eh?" Eh? Good one. Eh? Good one, Walter. So anyway, but we we started up and and and. We had formal meetings. I think the most important thing the MTA did uh, back before the MTA, the people had all sorts of, of their own proprietary indicators, mm -hmm. and there was virtually no sharing of information. And the MTA opened it up, so now you have a great deal of sharing of information. It's really unprecedented. And I think the MT, you know, broke the logjam and said, "Hey, it's okay to share. You don't have to." You, know, you you can share your, your techniques and things with other people, and maybe they can improve on it. Mm -hmm. Now, this this is a hard um, certification. Is that the right word to obtain? I hear. Yeah, it must be. I never did it. Yeah, you never did it. You just a founded member. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, but I'm not a certified market technician or whatever they call themselves. Okay. Okay. Yeah, never, those are the these are the never, these are the these are the ones we see with the CMT next to their name yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, the CMT. It's like a doctor or something, yeah. It's like a doctor or, <laughs> yeah. or something. But the, the thing is that, you know, there was there was stuff in there, and I don't want to get into some of it, but some of the things you had to learn, I looked at and rejected long ago, or early in my career, and I said, I don't want to learn this stuff to pass the exam if I don't think it, it's useful. Right, right. Um, I, don't want, I don't want a slight Elliott wave, but, you know, I didn't want to learn an Elliott wave. I think some people have a lot of fun with it, but I think it's wonderful in hindsight and not very good in foresight. In for, yeah. Well, it, it turns out some guy, some guy makes a presentation at one of their meetings and he's doing a big Elliott Wave thing and he's got 10 minutes of why it's bullish. And so oh, that's interesting. And he says, now, of course, there's this alternate account, which is bearish. And he goes in for another 10 minutes. I said, well, wait a minute, which account are you going to do? Now, yeah. In hindsight, you'll tell me which account worked. I want to know now. Right. Right. So that's why. So that's why I'm not a certified. I'm not certified anything. Okay. So yeah, I've had the pleasure of reading your latest book titled "When the Time Comes to Buy, You Won't Want to." Uh, so Walter, I'd like to pull some quotes from there. Have you elaborate a little bit on the ones uh, that I picked out? Yeah. Please. Okay. All right. And All I right. might. I might say that. People, when the book came out a year ago, people thought the, the title was kind of strange. And in the last uh, month or so, they understand it. I think, it, yeah, it uh, makes sense now. All right, first one here. The stock market is a better economic forecaster than economists. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Because because this, the, the stock market the stock market is a discounting mechanism. It's looking ahead. You know, the stock market looks through the windshield, not the rearview mirror, mm-hmm. and so it's always discounting things. Uh, and it's it happens to be the National Bureau of Economic Research has leading in, a coincident lagging indicators. Stock market happens to be a leading indicator. Right. economic indicators. So the stock market is a great thing to, to, to tell you what the economy is going to do, but the, the economy is not going to tell you what the stock market is going to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's going, it's going, in the, as a matter of fact, I wrote when I was at Penn State, I wrote my honors thesis on technical indicators versus leading economic indicators. And the bottom line was the stock market was a great leading economic indicator, uh, but it didn't lead the stock market and technical indicators led the stock market. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, when, when I when I first read it, Walter, I I immediately thought of like sports betting markets, right? Because this is how I equate it, right? Because <clears throat> people, you know, always got people all the time. Oh, the 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 Jets are going to do this this year, or the Raiders are going to, you know, and, they, and they're so strong conviction. And I'm like, okay, well, here here's the sure. line. You want to bet on it? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because the 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 market's never wrong, or you know, it, the market's wrong, but it's more right than not. Yeah. Well, and, it's and anytime there's big money involved. Yeah, but it, yeah, it depends on if you know if the line will move and things like that. That uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I was involved. Uh, I get involved in prediction markets, which is kind of interesting. That the in, the late lament and in trade was a great market, uh, and that they had technical analysis of their markets, and it used to work really well. And, uh, unfortunately, the uh, guy who ran it. Uh, uh, Took a million dollars out of the co- the company without uh, being being supposed to, and the thing faded. And now there's something called predict it, which is not as oh, good. Yeah. But, I know predict it, yeah. but you but you you can wager on elections and things like that. The problem is, it's the, each market is limited to eight hundred fifty dollars, so it makes it yeah, uh, it makes it tough to, to to operate in size. And also, unfortunately, uh, it makes the uh, market not. Uh, uh, not as accurate because in the old days of the market right. on intrade the market got out of line somebody come in with big money and put it back in the line right, right exactly. same, way, same way as sports bet exactly if if if, 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 if the jets the if, if the jets line is, is is off somebody will come in with enough money to push it in the right direction exactly exactly but, uh, efficient know, yeah markets are more efficient than not usually yeah yeah usually but but it depends i mean the the, the unfortunately with the jets even on a bi- even on a bye week, they're an underdog. Yeah, <laughs> I know. As a Jets fan, it hurts. It hurts, Walter. But yeah, no, I really, I, I really like that that quote there. Okay, next one. Uh, all price changes are caused by an imbalance in supply and demand. Yep. Then because that's just straightforward. Nothing else to say. That's that's straightforward because the, mm-hmm. everybody wants to know a reason about why uh, uh, why something happened and the, the some day some days you know and sometimes you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But but you know I think I put a quote out one time. Ours is not to reason why, just correctly sell and buy. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. You know, Jay, does do you think this equates to kind of how we more or less you know, our style of trading, we like to trade uh, inventory and balances. Definitely. Definitely. I, I, I really agree with that. Uh, the, like today, for example, we, we were, you know, trading the ES, the, the, the minis 
And, you know, somebody yelled out that oil was just getting crushed. And I looked up and I saw oil just, it just was falling apart like a cheap suit. And I said, oh, margin calls. Because, you know, <clears throat> and, and the S&P was ready to, you know, run the stops and go higher. But those margin calls came in and they just started selling whatever was up and, and you know, the S&P was there. So those guys would rather sell something than wire money. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody, well, you know, Wall Street, we don't like to wire money. We like wires coming in, but we don't like to wire it out. Yeah. Well, it, it, interesting also, uh, stepping back a little bit, most, most climactic lows are accompanied by some sort of forced selling, mm -hmm. as we saw back in March. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and as you know, probably better than I, when somebody, when, when uh, hedge fund implodes, they sell what they can, not what they'd like to. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, having been a part of a lot of clearing firm failures myself, it's kind of, you know, kind of been there. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another quote in the book from John Mendelson, uh, who said, margin clerks are the most, most ruthless sellers Wall Street, Wall Street has ever known. Oh, my goodness. No kidding. They just, they like, you know, my, one of my favorite sayings is I never saw a bid I didn't like, and it goes double for them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they don't care what you paid for it. All they want to do is get out. Exactly. Whether there's anything left for you or not, they could care less. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's ruthless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, and that ruthless selling can create pretty uh, – interesting markets and pretty interesting snapbacks on the other side. Very much so. All right. Next one here, Walter. I never look at a chart that doesn't have a relative strength line on it. This, this is RSI, correct? No, no, this is, this is actually relative strength. Okay. And the thing is because having worked for institutional investors uh, for many years, you know, they live, they live by uh, multiple sorts that, not only does a money manager have to have to uh, have have a, have their accounts go up, uh, they have to have their accounts go up more than the market, and they also have to have them go up more than the guy down the street's accounts go up. Mm. So, 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 so if if the market uh, rallies twelve percent and you're up only eight percent, you're dead. So, rel so relative strength tells you where the uh, where the leadership is. And, and the, the, one of the things that I was always doing uh, is trying to find out where the leadership of what was going to outperform at the market. If this is the greatest, uh, if this is really a great buying opportunity five years from now, what are we going to look back and say, what, should, what, what was the obvious thing we should have bought to participate in this? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right, next one here. Always remember that we are dealing with probabilities and not certainties. Yeah. I love this one. That's that's from the best analyst you never heard of, Stan Burge, who was an institutional technician. But you know, people say people say the market's got to do this. No, it doesn't. It probably will do this. It very likely will do this, but there's no guarantee. Right. Right. I mean, and isn't isn't that such a you know? It's so it it makes me it's so frustrating to me, Walter, talking to certain people just in everyday life, people who are not involved in markets a lot of everyday life people don't understand this concept. It's like, it's hard to tell them. Like, I'll be like, Oh, well, I think this is going to happen 75%. Well, what do you mean? 75? It's, we don't deal in black and whites. 
You know, like I, I, I look at everything in probable probabilities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, which is why, which is why God invented stop orders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh gosh, that's beautiful. I mean, I, you got the you most the most perfect setup you've ever oh. seen in your life. The one that works so well. Well. And. One of these days, it blows up in your face. Yeah, well, someone's got, you know, one stray order can ruin your day. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. There's, there are no 100% setups yeah. in the market. That's true. You right. find 100% set up in the market, and I'll get uh, whenever you think you find the uh, the key to the stock market, some son of a bitch will come along and change the lock. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the quotes in there, wasn't it? That, yeah, I remember. Well, it, yep. it wasn't quite as salty as that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, I really, I think this one might have been my favorite one. I, I like this one a lot because I think it applies 100% to life as well. I think rare, rarely in life are there certain things as well. But I, I think it would serve people better to think probabilistically. But all right, moving on. Next one. Uh, markets and stocks can stay overbought for a long time if the advance is really strong. Right. Um, oh. Old, old lesson, um, markets get most oversold at the bottom and they get most overbought at the beginning of an advance. Right. And, and this whole concept about breath thrusts and things like that is the more powerful the advance in its earlier stages, the more powerful the advance over, overall. And uh, if, you, if you Google breakaway momentum, this is something I came up with in 1973, which is a breath thrust. Mm-hmm. And it's the unusually powerful momentum that you get only at the beginning of a really powerful move. It's only we've only it's only happened uh, 21 times since the uh, end of World War II. It's not something you're going to see wow. a lot. Okay. But when you see it, you sit up and take notice. So we, it happened in at the beginning beginning of last year, the January of 2019. And that uh, when you when you get it, the market just goes up and it stay it gets overbought and then it stays overbought. It never gives you a chance to get in again. Yeah, yeah, right. Really, really, really good moves. Uh, you know, don't give you a chance to get in. If you, you know, when the train leaves the station, it doesn't back up to let the latecomers on. Right, right. So it's, you, it's, so, yeah, it's so, fascinating. So, so when you see a move, I would I would suspect even from a trading standpoint, if you see a move and it starts going your way, and then it backs up again to give 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 people a second chance, it may not be that good a move. Mm. right interesting no, no yeah. second chances in this game yeah no that's good stuff that's that's good food for thought that's so good food so so the, so the, the, the other thing it's a corollary the most bullish thing a market can do is go up and keep going up right you know, the most bullish thing the market can do is get overbought and stay overbought yeah because that's, that's crazy saying, that's saying that's saying that that's saying that the underlying trend is really strong. And I think the concept of the underlying trend is an important one, whether you're a short-term trader or anything like that. If you're, if you're, if you're trading during the day, you know, what's the next, how, how powerful is the underlying trend? Is it going to bias things to the upside or the downside? And um, what you're, what you're doing is you're trying to find out the strength of that underlying trend, the more powerful the underlying trend the, the fewer counter trend moves you're going to have. Right. Mm. Wow, good stuff. Yeah. That that's, yeah. So when it, it's most bullish, 
market can, or the most bullish thing a market can do is be overbought and stay so. Yeah, and get really, really overbought. Really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because the most overbought markets are happen at the beginning of a really big advance. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's and interesting. Then just, and then they stay overbought because they don't give give the latecomers a chance to get on board. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Next one. If everyone's waiting for a pullback to buy, either the market doesn't have a pullback, or if it does, you shouldn't buy into it. Yep, same concept. It doesn't give you a second chance. If everybody's waiting for a second chance to to to, to get on board the train, if the train backs up uh, uh, into the station to give you a second second chance to get on board, something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you find where my mind went a little bit when when reading this quote? It, it, like when the consensus, you know, everyone thinks, uh, or like you said, everyone's waiting for a pullback, like the the quote says. Is it is that something to worry about when you feel like the consensus is saying something, or that's a kind of by case by case scenario? No, I think the I think the consensus is important, but it has to be an obvious consensus. Right now, half the people are yelling that that everybody thinks the market's going to go back and test the low, and uh, the other people are saying it's going to be a, a, a V bottom. There's no way it's going to come back. Uh, consensus the consensus has to be obvious, or it doesn't count. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. Or, or one of the one of the one of the quotes in the book is, uh, "If you need an indicator to tell you whether sentiment's a factor, it ain't." Right. Uh, right. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was, you know, I was thinking it's like, you know, we we wouldn't want to just be contrarian because the consensus is saying this. But I I, I hear what you're saying. That makes that makes sense. Next no, quote. And it, mm -hmm. really, it really is the deep seated consensus. I mean, the consensus at the beginning of the year was the market was 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 uh, uh, you know was going up. Everybody was raising their price objectives. Tesla was going crazy. Uh, <laughs> SpaceX or whatever it is, Virgin Galactic, mm -hmm. whatever it was going. Everybody said, "Well, this is normal. This always happens in a market like this." And I said, "This is not normal. <laughs> this is this is not a normal market." And the consensus at that time was the market was just everybody kept raising their objectives. I put I put out on Twitter, I put a link to an old Les Paul Mary uh, Ford song, How High the Moon. <laughs> because everybody kept saying, you know, I'll, 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 see your, I'll see your objective on Tesla and raise you 50 points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, didn't work <laughs> out so <laughs> No, but it was a heck of a. It was a nice corner, though. They ran a nice corner on it for a little yeah. while. For a little while, but this is this is another quote. So this is a Bob Farrell quote: that "Parabolic advances uh, uh, usually carry more than you think they will, but if they don't correct by going sideways." Right. And a parabolic advance. I have to say, if you don't see it on a log chart, it ain't a parabolic advance. See, these arithmetic charts that go from 100 to 900 and show power, they don't count. It's the same thing with this virus thing. You know, they're showing they're showing growth rates, and you have the thing starting off with 100 cases and then going to to, to 5,000 cases, and they're using an arithmetic right. scale. It doesn't count. Right, right, all right. Next one here. I thought this is this is a funny one. I guess not much to be said here. Uh, there there are no atheists in bear markets. Yeah, I was I when I worked at Putnam that. Uh, some some fund managers didn't really uh, believe in technical analysis, but when the market was going down, they yeah. would wander into the office and say, "What the hell is going on?" 
<laughs> which, which, which is the other part uh, of the book. When the time comes to buy, you won't want to because they would wander in my, this literally happened. They would wander in my office and so the market would be going down. And they say, oh good, the market's going down. Is it time to buy yet? I said, no. So the next day the market goes down some more. They come in and say, is it time to buy yet? I said, no. And finally, to get rid of them, I told them when the time comes to buy, you won't want to. All right. I'm, I'm, not I'm serious. You tell me. You, you tell me. People who want to buy, a, you know, after, after the market, you know, when the market was down at the bottom in March, you tell me people who really wanted to buy. <laughs> you, you ever have any like funny, uh, I don't know, debates or arguments with these traders when when they would come to you like with what they want to do, but you're giving them, you know, conflicting advice. Uh, yeah, but I kind of just, you know, I, I, I said my thing. The problem was that the, 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 a contrarian technical analysis, you're usually going against consensus. So one of the problems in life was that I was going against the conventional wisdom most of the time, mm -hmm. which is not a great career builder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah, you because know, it's, it's, it's like uh, uh, Dean LeBaron wrote in, in his book about uh investment people or something and i was a technician each other he says you know telling telling them telling the majority your the, the majority of your clients that they're probably wrong isn't a real good career builder mm -hmm. i can see that i mean do you think that was part of your success was you were contrarian i guess yeah, to an extent yeah. contrarian yes sir mm-hmm hmm, hmm. It's interesting because, yeah, I mean, it's not an easy game to, to beat, you know, so if it's just something I thought. And, and that's why my mind went to that, to, you know, the consensus when we read that last quote, because uh, this is something I think on a lot, too. Right. Is like because if this was so easy to if this was so easy to beat, everyone would beat it, you know, so Absolutely. you I feel like you have to think a little different no? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I'm not a trader. I can't. I don't have the emotional background, uh, you know, uh, makeup to do it. So I know. Yeah. yeah. At least I learned. I learned. I I didn't. Right. Right. Okay. Some people can. Some people can't. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Next one. I like. Yeah. I like this one right here. And, and the other about the consensus is mm -hmm. is if you want to watch CNBC like the pros who turn the sound off. Oh, uh, I was gonna read that one. <laughs> I was gonna read that one. That's a good one. I, I like yeah. that one. Yeah, you know, and actually, I had that because the thing is, you see these trading floors, these trading rooms, and and you see every every one of them has CNBC on. I was in a whole bunch of trading rooms when I visited clients, and mm -hmm. they all had CNBC on on the television, mm -hmm. but none of them had the sound on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're looking for they're looking for facts, but they don't want opinions. Their opinions are a dime a dozen and useless. Exactly. So right. so you turn and. So I had a, uh, a sign in a presentation I did at one of the MTA uh, things at, uh, for people who, when they got on uh, CNBC, that there was a big sign for them to hold up that says, turn the sound up. <laughs> <laughs> and and John, John Bollinger caught me after the meeting and says, I want that sign. I said, okay, you can have it. I'm done with it. No, I don't know whether he ever used it, but he wanted it. Oh, jeez. Turn the sound up. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you that one. That that's good. All right. Um the stock that, market Go ahead, go ahead. Well, you got go one ahead. more thing? No, go ahead. 
All right. All right. The stock market will do whatever it has to do to embarrass the greatest number of people to the greatest extent possible. Right. This is my law of perversity. It takes contrary opinion one step further. Yeah. Not only is it going to do what, the, what most people don't think it's going to do, but it's, it's going to do it to embarrass you. It's, a, it's incredible how true that is. It's, yeah. It is. It, it, it is. it is true. And that's this is why this whole game is just a whole mental uh, – it's a whole mental mind game. It's – man. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. I could go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. When – I like this one a lot too right here, Walt, because this is 100% true. When a trader starts to feel really smart, he or she is headed for a huge down draw, drawdown. Yeah. It, it, isn't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. If you if you're not humble, the markets will humble you. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. yeah. And when you think, like I said, when you whenever you think you you you, know, you found the key to the market, some son of a bitch comes along and changes the lock. Mm -hmm. Whenever you figure you've really got this thing now, you've had you know seven really good winning trades in a row. You say, man, I finally got this sucker licked. Boom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. That's. Those, you know, I don't want to ruin the whole book for people, but I, yeah, I really enjoyed the the little quotes as it did. I mean, it did at least got me to step back and like, I'll be reading and I don't have to step back and think a little bit like, okay. Yeah. So good stuff. So listeners definitely go check that out. A lot more good stuff in there. So you wrote three other books, Walter, correct? Uh, yeah. The, the, the first one was Demon on Technical Analysis, which was sort of the, um, uh, the, the main, the main treatise. And then I did uh, uh, one called uh, The Basic Essentials of Technical Analysis, uh, which was an offshoot of the Facts of Life uh, lecture I used to give to the new analysts at Putnam. They all came out of the Harvard Business School and they were all like little bees in a pod. They, they, they knew a lot about a lot of stuff, but they didn't know anything about the real, real world. So I had to tell them about the real world. And that, uh, uh, that the fact that, the, you know, for example, a stock is not the same as a company. And so if you tell me, you tell me everything, you tell me everything, you know, that the Tesla is going to do over the next five years. And you can't tell me whether the stock is going to go up or down. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And the first, and every one of my, every one of the books has, has my favorite chart of all time, which is the McDonald's Corporation in the 1970s, which was part of the Nifty 50 growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the earnings went up 25% uh, per year, compounded all during that time, and the stock went down. Went, went from 25% growth, growth rate, never missed a quarter. Uh, the stock went from 75 times earnings to seven and a half times earnings. Wow. Mm -hmm. And guess and what? Your firm guess sold what? the bottom, right? Yeah. Putnam bought the top and sold the bottom. Yeah. All right, right. When you when you were you were advocating that it was, this was the time to buy. Yeah. Right. Right. But, you had you had the you had the the email or the memo saved, right? It was in the yeah, book. I, yeah, that's one. That's one I saved. That's one that that's I treasure. Yesterday. Yeah. It's yeah. one of my treasured, treasured things because it worked out. Because well, that was right before I was on Wall Street Week, and I wanted to mention some growth stocks on Wall Street Week because right. I knew the subject was going to come up. And I couldn't get clearance to mention McDonald's because they were selling it. Oh, yeah. So I couldn't get the Jeez. 
So I said, "The hell with it! I'll write a memo." And I said, "If that's if, if that's not if that's not a major buy signal, I don't know what is." Right. Right. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Sorry, Rad, interrupting here. Go ahead. Yeah, I just thinking, you know, looking back at that time, the, the Nifty Fifty, and uh, you know, so you, you were with uh, Jerry Sai at Manhattan, and he was like one of the first people to, you know, sort of momentum trade and trade large blocks, and you know, with you know, in in a fast time frame and that sort of thing, and. Then he also raised like two hundred and forty-seven million dollars back in 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 that time, which was yeah, back back when that was a lot of money. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's a lot of money in the sixties. What was he like? What was it like in that environment? Oh, it, it, it was rather amazing. I mean, he was a real gunslinger, and that uh, uh, he 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 was unique. The the the, the 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 second guy at the shop was a guy named Bob Edwards who was a better money manager, a better uh, investor than Jerry was, but that's either here or there. And Bob used to hang out in the boardroom, which is where my office was, in our war room and, and watch the tape. And uh, uh, one day he picks up the phone and calls the trading desk and he says, it looks like uh, there's a block of boroughs that's going to hit the tape. I want to buy some, I want to buy 50,000 shares on a, on, the, on a cleanup. And the trader said, well, you're right, there is a block of Burrows that's going to come out on the tape, but you can't buy it because it's Jerry's block. Oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he puts he puts the he puts the phone down and looks at me and says, "What's he know that I don't know?" Don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's something. That must have been something. That was, that was the old days. That, that, that uh, uh, in the old days, Fidelity. He came he came out of Fidelity, and Fidelity had some, the wild money managers. And uh, I was a contrary point opinion for him in 1966. I was just young and uh, everything. Mr. Johnson, the Mr. Johnson of Fidelity, was the uh, one of the speakers. And Jerry wrote me a note of introduction to take up. So I go up afterwards. There's a crowd around them, and I'm listening. And that uh, somebody, somebody asked Mr. Johnson. He said, "How how do you?" Uh, run Fidelity with all the different money managers. You know, how did, how did they work together? Mr. Johnson said something. He said, we run Fidelity as close to a complete state of anarchy as possible. <laughs> now, that is not true today. Oh, but back yeah. then, that you could have one person buying and one person selling and nobody would care. Hmm. You know, that that's amazing to think of it because it's such, you know, it's a flagship of the industry. Yeah. Now, and it's so, right. um, you know, what they used to call white shoe. And, you know, you, you would never even imagine it being run that way. Yeah, it was. And now, now it's gone the opposite. I, I was told some years ago, and that uh, I assume it's still true, to, true today, that money managers can't go deviate 2% off the index in a, in a, in a sector. I, I've heard things like that. And then a lot of those decisions, those investment decisions are made by committee almost, isn't it? Or yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, and and in all the public parks and all the land, you will never see a statue to a committee. <laughs> exactly, definitely, definitely. Mm. Now, now, and and back in that time, like you were around, like there were some very interesting things going on in that time. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge history buff on the street, and you know, people like 
um, you know, Charlie Bluthorn, you know, with uh, Michigan Bumper and Golf and Western, and that did did you cover companies like that? Were you? Um, well, we owned them. That uh, you know, one, one day that uh, uh, Charlie Bluthorn came in to see Jerry, and he said, "Yeah, Golf and Western," and he said, "Jerry," he said that uh, I'm about to make three acquisitions that are going to knock your socks off. He said, each one of the three companies is a, is a component of the Dow Jones Industrials. So by, by, by the time that uh, people came back from lunch, every fund, fund in the shop had 5% position in Gulf of Western. Wow. And one, one, of the, one, one, of the, one of the guys had an income thing. He said, why couldn't he at least bought the convertible preferred so I got some income out of it? Uh, and that, that was... Uh, if you look back at the chart of Gulf of Western, that was about two points from the top. Oh, wow. Oh, he oh, 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 did make three acquisitions, but but you never heard of the three companies. They were all pretty small. So he was he as, as crazy as people said he was? I mean, I, that's completely before my time, but he was one of those mythical figures, you know. Probably. I didn't know him personally, but okay. I, would, I would say that, you know, coming in and telling Jerry he was going to buy three components of the Dow Jones Industrials is not normal. <laughs> and then he ended up making the movie The Godfather with Charles, with Robert Evans. So yeah. you know, pretty amazing. Uh, the other thing is you were around the time um, when Xerox was, uh, was happening. Did you have any clue that they were developing what they were developing in Palo Alto? with the uh, Park Research Center. Were you guys privy to that? Was that? No, no, oh, we, had, okay. we had no privy or anything like that. Oh, okay. Because I, I always thought, you know, if, if you guys had gone and picked that apart, you, you know, there were like 10 public companies that you could have taken public out of that place easily. Yeah. Um, you know, just, and you know. But see, we didn't, we didn't do that. We invested when they did. Yes, go yeah. Them, we didn't yeah. do that. No, just uh, I always I would, that whole Xerox Park story fascinates me. So I was just wondering if uh, if you do that, and and just you know, so the folks at home know, I I'm a huge fan of Wall Street Week. I, I used to watch that in the '80s when I was a kid, and I didn't even know what I was watching. I just knew I had to watch it. So it's it's an honor having you on the show because uh, you know uh, Rookheiser, and then of course Marty Zwig is every trader's uh, you know hero. So you know you know, the penthouse at the pier sort of thing. And you, uh, you know, tell us a Marty's wig story if you. Uh... Well, Marty, uh, Marty was, was on Wall Street. He was a panelist the, the, uh, the night I was on, which was February 29th of, of 1980, which is the only time the, pro the program was ever broadcast on February 29th. So I always had it in the back of my mind that the next time it was broadcast on February 29th was going to be 2008. And I thought I would let them know that if they wanted to keep the tradition of having the same guest on February 29th, they wouldn't want to <laughs> give me a call. But the Wall Street week didn't last that long, so that never yeah. happened. But he was, he, he was, the, uh, he, he was, a, he was a panelist, and the, the, he knew. Um, he 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 probably knew more more about technical analysis than just about anybody. His, his book is probably is probably one of the best that's ever been written on technical analysis. That's amazing. And, and quick question: And you worked at the time when investment banks were partnerships. You know, Goldman was a partnership. And um, do you think that now that you know these large banks are public companies and now that you don't have partners with their own skin in the game, that 
the risk um, that they're taking uh, is out of control with, you know, uh, you know, leverage and that sort of thing. Is that something that that uh, concerns you at all? Yeah, I and mean, they're they're taking risks that no normal people wouldn't take, and that they put in. They try to put in controls after after the market falls apart, like in two thousand and eight, and then they spent ten years trying to go around the circumvent the controls. So it happens all over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think because you know when when you had you know thirty old guys running the place and they had their money at stake, there was no monkey business, you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. And now it's now now it's not their money, as you say. They they don't have skin in the game, so the, yeah, you know, they do they do whatever they want. They they take risks that normal people would have never even dreamed of taking. You know, back back in the day. Okay, great. And, and and like everything, when they start taking risks, it ends up being getting over overdone, and it, uh, they go they go too far, and then it backfires on them, and something blows up. Mm. And uh, do do you think that like that nifty fifty time when valuations were, you know, stretched? Do you think that's sort of similar to what we just went through? Uh, sort of a little bit with the Fang stocks, yeah. Mm -hmm. There were there were only six, five or six stocks instead of fifty. But what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's interesting too, and I, I noticed that um, it's interesting to get your take on it because when you know when you were active, you know they had so many firms, and you know I come from the market making side of things, and and you know we used to have th a thing called the Nasdaq Red Book, which was a directory of all the market makers, and it was thick. It was like a Bible. Now it'd probably be like a two-page brochure. Um, ah. you know, it's you know it's become so centralized, and then you have money managers with trillions of dollars that have locked up the floats of Apple and Microsoft, where less than one percent of the float trades on a daily basis in in these massive companies. Uh, which to me, as 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 a guy who constructed markets to sell stock into, doesn't look very liquid to me. So I'm just wondering if that's something that you've noticed or have any concerns about or any thoughts about that. Uh, concerns, yeah. Thoughts, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I share your concerns, but I don't know how it's going to play out. Yeah. Except, except as, as with always, it won't end well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to blow up in people's faces, but it ultimately will. Yeah. I just, I just look at the concentrations of stock that, that really, you know, just does not trade. Um, and it's, eh, you know, and the average daily volumes of these things are nowhere near as, as big as, you know, there's less than 1% of the float. So it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's a good word. <laughs> we, we live as the Chinese would say, we are, we live in interesting times. Very much so. Very much so. All right, Ray, I'll pass it back. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it for me. Um, Walt, I guess just one more thing. When, when you were working as an analyst, were you cognizant of trying to keep a balanced life or were you consumed by the markets? Uh, most, mar most, most, most market students are really more consumed by the markets than they should be, and I was probably one of them. Because the thing is, every everything affects the market. So you look, you you, you turn on the news, and they tell tell you something about this virus thing. You say, "Oh, I wonder how the market's going to react to that." Or mm -hmm. You look at something like that, and you say, "Oh, you know, they're not going to play baseball for two months. I wonder how the market's going to respond to that." Mm -hmm. Never stops. It never stops. 
Never stops. Did you, did you have, did you ever have, or do you have any hobbies uh, away from the markets? Yeah, get, you was, just get, get your mind clear. I was a pretty, pretty active ham radio operator and we used to get in contests to see how many people we could contact over a given weekend or something like that. No, I used to be a radio to, operator. Ham amateur, radio. amateur radio. Yes. Oh, days. okay. Yeah, you know, amateur radio. So we, so I had a big antenna in the yard, and I was able to contact people all over the world and all that sort of thing. So it kind of amused me during the. And then yeah. you, you tried to, to make contacts with people in faraway places with strange sounding names, and the, the, you know, see how many of the, the various entities. Like, I ended up contacting every every entity that there was, except except for one French island in, this, in the Indian Ocean. Really? And North Korea, which didn't allow any, any uh, amateur radio operator in their country. Oh, interesting. I still remember those towers from being a kid. And I remember, you know, uh, you know my next door neighbor had one of those things. And, and the, the setup he had in his, you know, in his, where his wife had kind of stuck him was, uh, was amazing, yeah. all this equipment. And I was like, it was, it was amazing, very futuristic at the time. Yeah, <laughs> and and now all you have to do is get on the internet and contact anybody in the world. Exactly, <laughs> one click. <laughs> Don't say when. When did this stop becoming a thing? Because I, to be honest, I've never heard of this. I did. Oh gosh, it still I mean, exists. Been, does it? It still exists, but it's it's one of those sort of um, it's like vinyl records, a niche, you know? a niche. Yeah, yeah. It used to be really big in the seventies. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the, see, there's two types. There's the ones that do uh, actual shortwave the old shortwave oh, thing right. yeah. you do international and you got other people that do walkie talkies through repeaters to talk to everybody around town and uh, uh, which never really interested me talking to people around town because I can do that anytime mm -hmm. All right. so I never but if I if I were to get back now that I'm living in Addington the only thing I could do is a walkie talkie because they won't let me have an antenna yeah. oh okay hmm. you watch, you watch it well, I had a, I had a seventy foot seventy two foot tower, so that, <laughs> and the uh, and the, the antenna on top had a forty two foot boom, so that was kind of big. That's <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly design friendly. <laughs> no, but the, 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 the interesting thing is, Florida is so flat that when you're if you're if you got an antenna, it's, 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 it's uh, well, the, it was eighty feet in the air. There's nothing eighty feet in the air in Florida. You got. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Do we say, do we say, you know, I've been talking to people about this, right? It's funny. Is it, uh, did you say, did you say Florida or do you say a Florida? I, Florida. <laughs> Florida. Okay. No, I was just, <laughs> I was just laughing. A lot, a lot of old school New Yorkers. I found it funny. They said, they say what they, they say that way. Hey, I'm going to Florida. Like, yeah, well, and they did. Yeah. Well, Florida or fly. <laughs> Anyways, that concludes Florida. today's. <laughs> concludes today's episode of confessions of a market maker uh, if you enjoyed the podcast please rate and review it for us if you guys are interested in learning market profile if you're interested in joining a pleasant community of traders trade futures equities all of it come join our trade room at microefutures.com walter tell the listeners uh where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know uh they can find me on amazon uh, and Apple under Walter Deemer, and they can find me on Twitter under Walter Deemer. All right. And they can, and they can come by Addington Place and give me some ice cream. 
<laughs> yes, Van vanilla, and that's in Stewart, Florida. That's in Stewart, Florida. Yes, because we're we're under quarantine at the moment. I can't leave the property. Yeah, well, I'm sure if I can't, if I went to Publix and I can't, they were not going to let me deliver ice cream, are they? Uh, no, but they'll let you hand it in the front door and then they'll give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep you in mind when I'm when I'm passing by Stewart. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> will do. Will do. So, for the mayor of Addington, he's the gorilla. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I'm Paulie Walnuts. You guys use stops, though. Thanks very much for being uh, on the show, sir. It's, it was an absolute honor to have a legend on the show. Thank you. Well, as they say, I'm a legend because I lived longer than they did. <laughs> no matter how you obtain the status, it's there. <laughs> Live long enough, and you too will be a legend. Ha, 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 ha.